Welcome to another episode of Ladies at UX podcast. I am Madalena Costa, chapter leader at Ladies at UX Lisbon, Portugal. In today's episode, we are going to meet Bettina Davila. She is currently a senior lead product designer with nine plus years of experience. Her music and culture project management background have enabled her to explore opportunities for cultural and social empowerment, which we love. So she has worked in various industries such as fintech, immobility, e-commerce, and e-health in Brazil. London, Munich, and Paris. So currently, Bettina is based in Lisbon, freelancing at Moza Collective. Here, she can help early-stage startups bring the first products to life. Bettina holds a bachelor's degree in graphic design and a master's degree in social science. And she writes about design on media. Very interesting, isn't she? So shall we meet her? And before we continue, this episode was sponsored by Deploy.me, specialists in recruiting UI UX designers. Welcome to the latest EduX in English podcast, a friendly, welcoming and collaborative organization of intelligent and curious women who push UX boundaries, develop skills and promote talent supporting each other. Welcome, Bettina Davila. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Maddie. Thanks a lot for this amazing introduction. I couldn't do it myself. It's very, <laughs> very complete. And I am amazed myself with the tons of stuff I've, I've been doing so far. <laughs> yes, and you've been doing amazing. We are excited to explore this with you. And let's just dive in. So we would like to know your story from the beginning. How were your first steps working as a designer? Oh, wow. That takes me a long <laughs> long time back in, um, in my timeline. Actually, I before I started studying design at university, so I, like you said, I have a bachelor's degree in graphic design, actually. I started studying engineering <laughs> <laughs> and I was very disappointed because that was not what I wanted to do. So I switched to design. But at the time, it was a bit blurry, you know. This was back in 2006, 2007. And in Brazil, south of Brazil, where I were living, I mean, we had the concept of two streams in the design field. We had product design at a time which was mostly industrial design so actually building products you know building furniture objects and so on and we had the graphic stream which is more a visual communication so how do you handle you know print design branding you no know, visual identity and all other concepts that are more related to the visual communications world mm -hmm. and I thought that this the latest one will be the more interesting one for me so I applied to the graphic design um, course at the Federal University in Santa Catarina in Florianopolis which is island in the south of Brazil <laughs> Yeah, then I studied for five years, the bachelor's degree. I realized that was actually not my thing, you know, working mainly towards, you know, this corporate branding systems and building logos and building, you know, like a graphic materials. It was very enriching because I, I got to learn very, like the basics of communication. So we studied like the psychology of colors, you know, um, yes. <laughs> you know, a history of art and all of these things, which I think it was fundamental for the path of a professional, like same as a philosophy, sociology, and all of these things. But during like midway my course, I 
I started hearing about this new field called UX. At the time, this is something very new. I remember I had one class, like one discipline for web design, which meant we, we learned a bit of HTML and CSS coding. Mm-hmm. So we can bring to life some website layouts based on Photoshop. You know, we didn't have Figma or Sketch or anything of that, of that sort of tools at the time. So I got very interested in the idea of uh, bringing, you know, an abstract idea to life with another abstract idea, which is coding. You know, for me, that's something very fascinating. It's like learning a language. You kind of like learn, you know, the structure and the semiotics, the semantics of a language, which is coding. And then you can just apply that to a project. Then I I build this parallel path, you know, like while I was studying, still studying, you know, the graphic design, I started learning, you know, the front-end coding by myself. Mm-hmm. And I just got like my first internship in web design already. That's when I, I understood that I was very interested, you know, more in the digital world than, you know, the print world, which I was mostly focused on during my graduation. Great. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. And I know this is like one of the things that everyone will be really excited to learn about, which is that you have, as you said, of course, and we talked about the design with the Bachelor in Design from the Federal University of Santa Catarina in Brazil, which is one of the most prestigious universities. So first of all, congratulations on this amazing achievement. Thank you. Speaking about your final thesis. So you did a dissertation that involved the development of a website based on user-centered design concepts for a local practice and research group in contemporary West African and contemporary dance and music, which is something that... How did you come up with this? Can you tell me more about this project? How did this interest in the subject arise, right? I'm really interested to know. (laughs) Totally. As I said, you know, uh, I studied for five years. Uh, I did this bachelor degree for around four or five years at the university. And And, you know, university life, it's very broad. You know, you can have so many encounters and you you have the possibility of meeting so many different people, you know, outside of your own box, your own course, your own colleagues. So that's when I... I joined this group, like I wanted to dance. <laughs> so I joined this group that amazed me since day one that I saw the, them performing at the university, which is a group called Abayomi. Later, they, they became Abayomi because it was just a you know, small group at the time. And it was the initiative from, you know, the, the student board in the university. They wanted to inject more cultural activities in the students' lives in the university. So then they have like tons of new programs for free that people could join and this group was one of them. So I was very amazed because it was the first time I saw West African percussion and dance in front of me. It's not that common, especially in south of Brazil. Here in Europe, it's more common, especially in Portugal, in France, you know, because, you know, of the colonization process and, you know, the amazing African communities we have here closer to us. But in Brazil, it was still something very different in the South. Then I started dancing and playing and this group became kind of like my family throughout this, you know, students' years. And they, you know, it's common that these groups, they really lack of this sort of investment, you know, in communications and visuals, you know, how they can really disclose their work to other people, how we could actually apply, you know, to participate on festivals and programs like this. Like you really have to convey your image and your content in in a way that sometimes you need money, you need investment and you need uh, expertise on. That was the first time I realized that actually as a 
designer, I could really help some projects that I really believed in. And at the time, you know, building a website w was something like, wow, you know, everyone needs a website, you know. Yeah. And of course, they didn't have the knowledge or the time or even the money to, to invest on that. So I proposed as my final dissertation to kind of like provide this to them while I was also, you know, studying, researching and kind of like improving my web design, UX knowledge and skills. So I thought it was a, the perfect combination. And then back then I was studying this methodology uh, from Garrett. That's the name of the guy. He has a, a book published uh, explaining this methodology that talks about the five elements of user experience, let's say. So basically he portrays this visual graph from a a foundation, a structure to the, the surface. So we can imagine as if it was, I don't know, like an iceberg. And, you know, the, the business side, the, the understanding of the problem, you know, and the framing of the problem mm -hmm. and building the first structure of what you think the website should be. It's part of this like hidden part under the sea under the ocean that the part of the iceberg that we don't see but it's there because it's holding the whole thing you know up and then you just kind of move towards to the top until you have the surface which is the the what we call today the user interface you know the visual part of your project so it was very interesting because it was the first time I had you know encountered a methodology that could combine you know my interest in, in this new thing called UX and the web design and all the front end skills I was you know, trying to get. And then I just came out with this nice project to help the group and help myself. And it was uh, really fun to do at the end as well. That's really interesting, especially because I am a sucker for the iceberg methodology and <laughs> I love it. I think it's so smart thinking. And I every time I see a pitch or something like this, I always look at it. And talking about this iceberg, was this something that you used also for your Masters of Arts from the University of Lanchester, which is also very impressive again? Again, if you hadn't enough of impressiveness, here comes more. And of course, the title of your dissertation, which is Women in Resistance, Mulheril, a portal, Catarina's as an alternative media for women's empowerment in Florianopolis. I'm really excited because every time you talk, you always like drop some really insightful bombs, excuse me. And it sounds just amazing so please i leave the floor to you <laughs> explain sure um actually not at all like um you know there's, there's just a, a gap in time like uh, when i when i graduated from you know graphic design in brazil uh, it was about 2012 2013 when i finished the course and like i started working as a web designer and then a few years later i i had the opportunity to live and work in germany i was living in munich and i was working you know in my first startup and trying to understand the first time this ux ui world slash product design world back in 2015 and then you know i was already feeling the need of going back you know to studying something again like but not necessarily I didn't want to go back to do like a post graduation or master's in executing design because that's what I was doing already on my day-to-day -day basis you know like I was that was my my job like I was breathing you know like design thinking executing and everything you know every day and I was wondering like I don't want to do something that I do every day and then pay for it and What I miss the most during my trajectory is more like this 
challenging side, you know, like the discussing about the ethical part of the impact of working as a communicator today. And when you're in a, you know, in this corporate world, you know, sometimes you just do what you got to do because, you know, have to gain your money, pay your bills, and that's it. You don't have a lot of room for, you know, questioning, you know, structure methodologies or whatever you want to question. So I wanted to go after a master's or any kind of course that could help me apply my skills as a designer with some critical theory, you know, something on the side in the social aspect. Like I, I was trying to find a you know, a program that could help me, you know, understand what I'm doing in my daily basis, in my job, that could kind of like guide me to be more ethical, more social responsive, uh, responsible and responsive, etc., etc. That's why I, I came across this program at the University of Leicester in the, in the UK, and it was a social science program. But, um, you know, it was cool because you have like uh, people from different backgrounds. I was a designer, but there was like people from any kind of, of uh, you know, career paths. And the, um, yeah, the motivation to write this dissertation is that, okay, now as a Brazilian, you know, I'm living abroad, I'm working in Germany and doing this master's. It was a long distance master's that was saying, that's why I was still living in Germany. And I was working full time and at night I was studying. So I did this course for two years in a row, long distance. And I was wondering, like, what can, actually can I bring back home? Because, you know, I'm Brazilian, I'm here, I'm doing my thing. You know, I deserve to be where I, where I am, of course, because I have my own path, I'm working hard. But at the same time, studying all of these subjects regarding gender inequality, politics, you know, the social history of the media, etc., etc., they all have this uh, viewpoint from... Actually, it was an Eurocentric point, you know, all of the resources, the teachers and the, you know, the school members, you know, they're mostly, you know, Europeans or studying, working, acting in Europe. And it was really, really interesting thing to do, say, okay, I'm here as a Brazilian, maybe I can actually, you know, have a positive impact back home with everything I'm learning. And this was even encouraged by the teachers, actually, because they said this program is interesting because we have many people from all over the world. So we encourage you to also bring back to us other references, other sources of knowledge, of publications, you know, of, a, you know, a real world practice, you know. And that's when I, I realized, okay, this is a good idea. Then I want to write a dissertation on what's going on back home. And that's why it's called Women in Resistance, Mulheriu and Portal Catarinas. They are, Mulheriu was back then a Facebook group. It was created in Florianópolis, where I lived, where women, like organically, independently, they found the need of creating a secret group. It was a, a private group in, on Facebook, basically as a, a, no, a supportive network. So women got together to help each other on all different aspects of day-to-day -day life, such as we had women in the group that were battered, you know, that suffered domestic violence from their husbands, and they didn't have anyone you know, to talk to or even to ask for help. So this group was there for that reason as well. Many people lived in the surrounding areas of university and could be quite dangerous after, you know, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and they were just afraid of crossing the whole campus by themselves at night. People from this group would make themselves available to accompany these people, you know, just on their night walks through the campus. So very practical things. They build organically this supportive network. 
And Portal Catarinas, on the other hand, was actually an online newspaper, like online magazine, focused on talking about, you know, gender inequality, the importance of the presence of women and, you know, the politics and rooms of decision making, etc. So it was an internal communication tool versus an external communication tool. And I just wanted to analyze both of them to understand the real impact they're actually having you know, in the local community. And then I just, you know, apply all the research methodologies, follow like a specific guideline to, you know, with the help of the program of the course. So I could come up with some research methods and some conclusions about, you know, what these two groups, these two tools are doing, you know, in in terms of real impact in the local community. It's great. Thank you so much for sharing. And for, I think the first thing I would like to say, it's great that your teachers and your gave the openness to speak about something so important back then and now. So it's something that it's still something that we need to talk about. What it is great is that you grab this opportunity that you paid for and created a space for not only you to learn about this uh, research about women's empowerment and how these two communities, two groups were working towards a more uh, safe place for women, but also for the other women to, to read that they are not alone in this situation. So this is great. And you had to do a lot of research, of course, because even though it is something that we all live every day, it is something that you need to always keep searching, always keep looking for it. And I would love to know your experience about uh, researching on this project specifically and what were the results. And this can be emotionally, this can be results like specifically to the thesis. In this situation, I will give you the space to share with us what you took from this experience and this research. Yeah, I mean, actually, the only uh, bad thing of this process, because I was in Europe, so, you know, I had to do everything you know, remotely, like approach people, talk to people, and uh, basically plan the whole journey uh, from a distance. But uh you know, I'm not from the academia per se, like I'm not a person who wants to follow academic path. Therefore, for me, it was quite new and challenging to actually, you know, read, study and follow like research methodologies, you know, from the social science field, ethnography and etc. So for me, it was quite cool because as a designer, I never imagined I could like be doing this, applying all these techniques that, you know, normally we see being applied in other fields. So that gave me a lot of knowledge and perspective on actually how to handle any kind of research I need to do in my life. Of course, this is a very specific because I had very strict guidelines to follow because it was, you know, a dissertation paper, etc. But knowing like techniques and the difference of approaches and when, where to apply what, this is something that I still bring with me, you know, today because, you know, as a UX designer, we always have to touch this part with discovery. And we know that sometimes we can have some bias depending on the way we approach, you know, the subjects of study and, and these things. So, you know, this opened my mind a lot of how to, you know, the points of attention and how to, you know, be careful with certain things. And all in all, actually, if we want to talk about results, like I said, um, unfortunately, I had to do everything, you know, from a distance. So I approach people, you know, by Zoom, camera interviews, telephone, but also I apply this uh, quantitative uh, survey. And my idea was to understand at the end if the offline 
problems that happens in our lives as women, meaning if the gender gap in certain spaces, public spaces, mainly we're talking about public spaces, if they happen the same way in the online world. And my conclusion basically of my work is that, yes, you know, I study a lot for this research about the presence of the women on the internet. And there's like some very early publications dated from, you know, the, the 90s that they're already talking about where are the women? What What is internet? What is this environment that, you know, now it's like mostly 100% of our time of a working environment, it's online and social as well with social media, including this is like things get a little bit deeper as we can see nowadays. But back in the day, imagine early 80s, 90s, people don't, didn't know exactly what, uh, you know, internet was. And the most important questions to ask yourself is who is building the internet? So the same way that in our world, we have, you know, a systematic you know, a structure that kind of uh, detects how we relate to each other, how we work as society, meaning, you know, patriarchy is there. We understand that the same is happening in the online world. And of course, women are subjected to other roles also in the online world, because who is building the internet or who started building the internet back in the day were like white men from the northern countries. The internet came to be a bit of a, I wouldn't say as experiment, but as a need during the war back in the 40s, 50s, you know, Second World War in the United States. United States had to, you know, the military had to come with a, a solution in case they were bombarded physically and the information would get lost. So they created an intranet system so they could protect their information even if there was a physical attack to their, you know, the facilities. That was the birth of the concept of internet later on because then they the internet became public and then they they started you now building the World Wide Web. And if you think that, you know, the internet was built out of this, you know, the context of a war to protect some national sovereignty and built by the military, you know, then you, you, you can start like thinking in a different way, you know, what is internet and what is the importance of being active in the same, you know, the same struggles we have in the outside world, the offline world that we have to have online. And my conclusion, just to say that, you know, knowing that these because uh, that was the focus on my dissertation, the gender gap. If this gender gap is real online as well, I wanted to see if such initiatives as Mulherio and Portal Catarinas, they have a real impact on these women's lives. And there is. <laughs> there is because of that. Like people, sometimes we don't understand, you know, like why organizing ourselves like this is important. Like why people would organically need to have a system of support online to basically help someone not get murdered or get raped or anything like it would range from simple things as hey i need a recommendation of a gynecologist to hey i'm a you know i fear for my life i need some help so you know that that tells about you know a lot of things what's going on in, in our lives as women and offline and online unfortunately it's the same we suffer the same the same type of inequality a hundred percent and thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing information content uh, whatever you want to call it I really appreciate for you to share this with us and continue this conversation and now that we know all about your past and how it's helped you evolve to the person that you are today let's talk about your current role which is lead product designer and I would love to know your main challenges and goals in this role because like I said we already know the essence of 
who you are and what you stand for. So how does it help you to overcome your challenges and accomplish your goals? Well, I mean, I think when we know exactly what we're aiming for, you know, as a professional, I think things get a little bit easier in the sense that you know how to position yourself, you know, even like Of course, like I said, we, we need to pay our bills, you know, and do sometimes the kind of jobs that maybe doesn't reflect 100%, you know, what you want, want to be as a person. But you can still, you know, try to create some awareness and conscience in these positions. So I think the corporate world in a big way, you know, it's always challenging because, you know, Sometimes you just have to understand that there are some types of hierarchy to respect. Sometimes you can only do as much as your desk work, you know, you cannot go beyond that. But if I want to link that to my role as a lead product designer, you know, I had a, because right now I'm working as a freelance, so You know, it's a bit different, but uh, last year, you know, I was working as a manager in this e-health company in Paris. I lived in France for four years before I moved to Lisbon. And I realized that actually, you know, when you're leading a team, I was leading a team of around seven, eight people. Most of them were junior profiles, so people that just you know, finished school or boot camp and just like got their first jobs, which is very common nowadays. A lot of people changing careers. So a lot of new minds, new fresh eyes coming into the field. I had the sense of responsibility of, you know, kind of injecting some ethical relationships inside the work, even though if, you know, we already worked in a, in a company or a project that you know was fulfilling in some way because we're trying to make uh you know healthcare more accessible to people in France so you know this is kind of like already people you can see that aside from their their day-to-day -day jobs they're kind of proud of being where they are and I was just only like trying to inject this sense of responsibility like whatever we're doing we're affecting people's lives doesn't matter if it's short term or long term as a designer we're always building something that would intervene in the real world doesn't matter how so you know we have to be aware of that for instance we were discuss a lot internally about how to be more inclusive to one another even before discussing accessibility in the product itself but like how can we think about I don't know a democratic approach to a product or to be more inclusive with a target audience if we only have white men making these decisions so for me I think just my presence as a manager In a French team, like I was a Brazilian <laughs> and uh, people cannot see me on camera, but like, <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot say that I am a white woman. I have a darker skin, even though I don't think, you know, I, we, we don't have to go into this <laughs> subject right now. But in many cases, I am read as uh, white women because I don't think I suffer, you know, certain types of prejudice regarding my skin color. But, you know, I am Brazilian. I am dark skinned woman. And seeing myself, you know, as a manager in Paris, managing a team of only French people, this already, you know, it was enough to also convey a message. And people felt more comfortable in talking to me about, you know, all of the soft skills and all of the, you know, this, yeah, problematics that it's not only necessarily, you know, to discuss in the work environment. So I think it's very important to have this sort of uh, safe room with your team so you can be respectful, you can be open-minded to recognize privileges, to recognize where we can improve 
ourselves as a human because I think, you know, being better humans, <laughs> we can build better things, better products to the world. So, I, I mean, that's how I would see more or less my position as a you know, lead designer nowadays and how this trajectory, you know, working all these different kinds of projects, how I convey this more clearly in my role, in my persona, you know, in these environments. So I, I hope it's a positive thing and I always push this, you know, to other people as well. It's not only, you know, that doesn't mean that a white person, you know, white, cis, male guy cannot, you know, take this responsibility as well. But I think it's very important that we're conscious about these aspects. We have come to a point where we learned about your roller coaster, great life, full of uh, great experiences to build tough skin but at the same time to be a better human to teach other humans to be better humans so it was really different experiences and as albert einstein says wisdom is not a product of schooling but of the lifelong attempt to acquire it so do you agree that your experience has given you a pearl of new wisdom <laughs> totally. I mean, I can refer another quote <laughs> from Nelson Mandela that says that in life we never lose, we either win or learn, which means, you know, doesn't matter what you're going through. I think we always have, you know, the capability of taking something positive out of it. I don't want to romanticize as well, you know, the struggle, you know, and problems people have in life. It's not about that. But for sure, like I cannot, I wouldn't be here, you know, with this mindset saying the things I say if I wouldn't have gone through all of these different paths. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so from the start of a product to the continuous development of one, which is also more related to different experiences, different cultures, depending on the project that you're working on, what is the difference and which one is your favorite part of creating a product? Uh-huh. From the start of a product to the continuous development. Um, I must say that since, you know, it's been around nine months that I, I'm freelancing. And like you said before in the introduction that I'm working uh, with a collective called Moza in France. And our focus now is to help early stage startups, like very, you know, new like founders to just bring their products to life. And I, I come to realize that I, I just, I'm in love with this part of the process because it comes with this part of um, educational approach. So there are a lot of founders, uh, you know, CTOs. Sometimes when, you, when you're like brand new, you have an idea on paper. I usually have like one, two, three people max, you know, deciding things from the ground up. And usually it's an engineer or someone from business, you know, that has like the idea. Rarely there's someone like mature in product to understand how to conceive that idea. So that's where, where I come in. Like we have a, a team, you know, it's me as a product designer, but You know, we have like product strategists and PMs and we kind of like grasp that urge, that idea. And then we just, you know, deep dive into discovery, understanding the actually if there's a product, sometimes there's no product, it's just an idea. And actually we come up with the MVP. So it's really interesting because it really put into test all the UX methodology you can, you know, it's like, okay, basically we need to one, educate these people on how to 
build a product, sometimes they don't know, like, you know, the iterative process or what type of things we need to be concerned with at first. You know, we have to kind of choose your battles along the way in a more like critical, you know, way because you don't have a product. So we have to be really clear about the vision, the strategy of your product and how to translate that into a roadmap and how to translate that roadmap into a UX roadmap. I found this process like very, you know, fresh and motivating because I, I have the feeling that with every new client, new project, I put my methodologies to the test and I reframe things. I switch things. I try new things. All in all, I think it all comes back to that Garrett's five elements of user experience that I did in my bachelor's degree to see how I can wrap up all, all my journey <laughs> in, in the same bowl. Because You know, basically UX methodologies, they're speaking about the same things in different ways. So whatever works for you as a professional, you know, you choose your own set of tools and framework. It's fine. So for me, it's very interesting because I can iterate all over again with different clients, these sets of tools and frameworks to see which one works the best for each use case, because at the end, there's no golden rule. So yeah, so just to answer your <laughs> your question clearly, I really, I mean, that's the difference. Like when you have the, the continuous development of a product, you already have principles, perhaps, you know, like ideally you already have a team structure in place. You have a clear strategy or you're, you have sometimes a clear, even a, a roadmap and design strategy place and basically you have to do small improvements or you know just tackle specific points in the product that you you can you know challenge but you know the rhythm is different sometimes the impact the level of impact is different and is a bit much harder if you want to challenge some foundational principles you know at this stage so i really like the idea of thinking the start of the product because you can really inject now the importance of design the ux knowledge and you know to have like a mature concept of why design is important for your product and that's where i see i have impact now with this with this kind of freelance finds great and now that we know all the amazing knowledge bombs that you shared with us i would like to just point out again that I shared in the beginning about your medium. So do you share this kind of experiences, bombs, knowledge with your audience on medium? And also, has this been helping with your career so far writing on medium? Totally. Oh my God. I mean, I'm not like a regular writer because it takes me a few months to really think about a subject that I want to talk about and really like write it down. So if you check my medium page, you know, I, I think I have one, two arts articles per year <laughs> that means that you know because they're really like it made sense for me to write them at that point and from time to time I catch myself going in on my own medium to read things I wrote in in the past to remind me of you know certain concepts and certain ideas so it's not only about sharing you know with a bigger audience you know like some thoughts some ways of working but also to myself like it's a repository of really cool ideas and you know and vision about design that um, you know I, I think it's very important to me uh, for instance I write I think one of the I think one of the the articles that was like the top one article 
from access and comments uh, on my page is uh, one that is called Reframing the Problem. Basically, I, you know, I talk about, you know, as a UX designer, the need of, you know, framing a problem so you can come up with a problem statement and then you can, you know, you're free to ideate on the correct thing. So, you know, we basically, we understand this process as if you have a, a, a solve or issue or challenge, in front of you, if you don't have much time to solve it, you know, it's recommended that you spend 90% of your time on the problem and only 10% on the solution. Because in most cases, you can create, you know, really nice solutions, websites, applications, whatever it could be the outcome of your project. And it's not addressing the right problem or the right way. So, you know, everything is lost. So I address, you know, in this article, how important it is to really sometimes reframe the problem. Sometimes we understand the issue, but maybe from a different perspective. And this way you can really, know, open the box of your mind and try to come up with a very, you know, efficient way of solving the issue. So if anyone is listening, want to check it out. I have other, other articles that talks about how to work in agile environment with developers. So how to communicate you know, in the sprint planning, for example, how you can best communicate all your efforts, your outcomes as a designer throughout a developer a development sprint, because this is an issue, you know, with people working already, you know, established companies and they need to do these ongoing improvements. And as we know, developers are working on delivery. At the same time, we're working on conception from another thing. So how can we best, you know, integrate this process in the same team? I talk about my role as a manager at Dr. Lib. Like I said, the last year I was managing this team in this French tech company. So the like, different aspects of my job, I talk about methodology. Sometimes I just like, talk about like feelings, best practices, soft skills. Sometimes I get more, a little bit more political, you know, and understand like all these aspects of our job, like the impact of our role in society. So talk about, you know, gender, race, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Thank you so much. I'm sure everyone would like to go there and listen to what you share with such impact and meaningful when you write one. So please there, go there and comment. <laughs> yeah. If, if someone, so for the people that are listening right now to you, how can they get in touch with you and maybe leave a comment in your video? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not a Twitter person, so I don't have a Twitter. I mean, I do have a Twitter, but I don't use it. So on Medium, you can find me. Actually, I have to spell, I think, because my, my page is called Medinos. <laughs> so at Medinos, at M-E-D-I-N-O-U-S. That's where you can find me. Also on LinkedIn, you know, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, Medium. And then we have my webpage, bdavila.me but you can find my page on my Medium account and my LinkedIn account, so don't worry. <laughs> Thank you so much. It has been great listening to all of the experiences and knowledge that you shared with us today. I would like to say thank you for also for everyone listening. I hope they go and find your social media and connect with you and talk a little bit more with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for the, the opportunity of... Uh, talking about my work, my life here. It was very interesting to me to do this whole timeline, you know, loop back in my life. And I, I didn't realize, you know, how much connection I had, you know, already in my early days as a designer with now. So it was really, really, really interesting to me and happy to share all this knowledge, get input. So everyone feel free to come out on my Medium, my LinkedIn, just, you know, say hi. Very happy to meet everyone. Thank you. 
So we ended our chat today with Bettina Davila, an amazing lady, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you have suggestions, questions, or contributions, please contact us on the website ladies.ux.com. This episode was sponsored by Deploy.me, specialists in recruiting UI UX designers.